Let's read the scriptures. 2 Peter chapter 1, the first 11 verses. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who through the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ have received a faith as precious as ours, grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, mutual affection, and to mutual affection, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is short-sighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to to confirm your calling and election. For if you do these things, you will never stumble, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Father, thank you for your word. Bless your servant as he explains to us what is on his heart. Speak to us, we pray, through your Holy Spirit. Amen. And today we're heading um, for 2 Peter, which tells us how to live in the light of the gospel benefits already won for us. God has done something for us um, in the past, way in the past and in our past. How do we live in the light of that now? And how does what we do now prepare um, for our gospel future, for the promises that God has laid out for us um, in Christ? And what we're going to find from 2 Peter, it's an interesting little book. I've been studying it in the week, trying to um, read it all together. Peter brings these three things together, past, present and future. And he says the key is something we might not have uh, thought about, is actually practical godliness. Practical, down-to-earth, everyday behaviour, Christian behaviour. And he says the way to uh, to live more like Jesus uh, is through trusting Jesus' promises. So it's actually a really practical passage, and I want to just take us through it from top to bottom and see how this works. And the first thing uh, Peter says that his, and he's talking about Jesus, Jesus' divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who's called us by his own glory and goodness. Jesus has given us everything we need for godliness. But godliness, holiness, it seems so outdated. 
Is godliness outdated? It would seem so in, in kind of society around us. Um, I used to have the um, BBC website as my kind of homepage, and it would, when I kind of went onto the internet, it would give me a little bit of news. Um, I still go there quite often for news, but I also um, go there these days rather to see the direction in which society is heading. And they have some amazing things um, on the BBC website. So some months ago, how Disney villains are the heroes we really need? Okay, that's interesting, isn't it? I mean, just the title, isn't it? It's provocative, isn't it? You know, um, and uh, one a couple of days ago, recovering the witch as a feminine ideal. Is godliness outdated? Yeah, out there, for sure. Uh, it's just practical goodness that's, that's just, that's for children. That's what, um, that's what you're getting from, the, uh, from, I think, the BBC. But it would seem so in lots of churches as well. What do, you want church, what do you want from church? An experiential blessing. You want to be overwhelmed with feelings. Or people come, they want to be encouraged. Well, that's right. But we want to find fulfillment and, and, and purpose. And that's right. But don't talk to me about godliness. That's boring. That's just old hat. That's just... We're evangelicals. We're saved by grace through faith. Don't talk to me about a behavior. Well, we need to. Peter absolutely disagrees. And his whole letter actually is written to counteract this kind of thinking. About false teachers who precisely are, are, are people who are saying you can have some kind of blessing, but it has no implication on everyday life. And Peter says this, Jesus' divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life. That's a real challenge, isn't it? Through our knowledge of him, if it is the personal knowledge of Jesus that you got when you were converted, when you became a Christian, you have, you, you have a knowledge of Jesus now, don't you? You have a, a personal relationship with Christ. And through that personal relationship with Christ, you have everything you need. For godliness, you don't need anything extra. You don't need to be extra clever. Um, you don't need any extra blessings. You don't need any extra revelations. You became a Christian you have a knowledge of Christ, that is all you need. And Jesus has called us, Jesus said, through his glory and goodness. He, he's the glorious king of the universe. He summoned you by right of kingship, um, but his glory and goodness, but he's good. He's good in all ways. He's summoned you um, by right of his virtue. He is, of course, isn't he? He's the glorious king, summons you by right, but also he's the good shepherd who calls you uh, to follow his virtue. And of course, he's the good shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep so they can be forgiven. So we've been given everything we need for life and godliness. But it's given to us. How is it given to us? It is given through his very great and precious promises. So that through them, may you, you may participate in the divine nature. So Jesus has given you a Bible full, or at least a New Testament full of promises. And what do the promises do? You can escape corruption. What the promises do is they allow you to escape from a cycle of persistently following through on ungodly thoughts. We all have ungodly thoughts, but the, but the key is not to follow through on them and not to make them uh, a pattern. 
And when they become a pattern, then they've corrupted um, our character. I think we all know something about that. And the promises are given so that that doesn't happen. Which promises, you might ask? What, what are these promises that, that Jesus has made to me? Well, actually, all the New Testament promises are made by Christ. It was Jesus who commissioned the apostles to be his witnesses, to be his representatives, to be his interpreters, um, to write these things down from us. So although these, all the New Testament promises are made, by, um, are made through the apostles, they're ultimately their promises from Jesus. And they're actually promises that are, that are achieved by Jesus. They're promises based on, on the work that he's done um, on the cross. So let me just give you a couple of examples. Um, Peter himself said at Pentecost... Um, after the Holy Spirit had come, um, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This is for you and your children and all who are far off. It's a promise made by Peter, but it's a promise from Christ. That if you repent and you're baptized, you'll receive forgiveness and you'll receive the presence of the Holy Spirit uh, in your life. Promise made by Jesus, promise achieved by Jesus. Or take Paul says, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. If you've trusted Christ, what he's done on the cross, if you're in Christ, then you are a new creation. Um, your spirit has been changed. That real you, that inside you, uh, has been changed. Been given a new nature. Um, you're a new creation. You've got a new, a new spirit inside of you. Spirit is new. Something fundamental about you has changed from the inside. And so I think that means that when the time comes uh, for God to make everything new, there'll be a whole new creation. You'll get a new resurrection body at that point. But the new spirit you've already got. You've already got a new spirit. And that is preparing you uh, and making you ready for that day. Or one John, it's a promise comes from John. Um, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. We saw that in one John, didn't we? It's another promise. Actually, it comes through John, but it's made by Jesus. It's achieved by Jesus. And promise is the characteristic way God communicates with us. The whole Bible is essentially a promise made to you, a, a covenant. What should our response be? Well, if, if a promise is the characteristic way uh, God speaks to us, then faith is the characteristic Christian response. A faith means you believe the promise, you trust it, and you act on it. So for Peter, with that repent and be baptized promise and, and, and the promise of forgiveness and the Holy Spirit, what do you do? You believe it. You trust it, and then you act on it. You repent, and you get baptized. It's very straightforward. But if the power is in the promises, then you need the promises in your life. And to get the promises in your life, what do you need to do? You need to be getting into the scriptures. And that's why I think love's testimony is so helpful and apposite. But the promises then need some action and they need your involvement and they need your effort. For this reason, because you've been given these promises, make every effort. 
So by faith, you've been given forgiveness. You've been given a new heart. You've been given the presence of the Holy Spirit to, to empower you. What do you need to do now? You need to follow the promptings. The Holy Spirit, you need to follow the, uh, the, uh, that new heart. You need to follow the uh, promises of Scripture and you need to put them into action. You need to now uh, apply some effort. But the good news now is that you're, you're not kind of... Um, you're not relying on your own effort. If the Spirit prompts you in something, then you know um, that he'll give you the power to do it. That's why the conviction the Holy Spirit brings into your life is such a sweet thing. It's a kind of bittersweet thing when you suddenly realize, oh gosh, that's wrong. But at the same time, a sweet thing, because you know that the Holy Spirit, if he's prompting out things that are wrong, he'll give you the power to, to make them right. Not working there on your own effort, but you do need to Make a decision. You do need to do something. You do need to act. And it's an interesting word, um, this make every effort, uh, because it's a word that relates to kind of benefactors in the kind of Greek or Roman world. Um, It it came to mean um, uh, somebody who would be very generous, um, somebody who might uh, originally might have, um, you know, sponsored a play. Uh, Then it came to mean somebody who would be a really generous benefactor to something. Um, So when it says make every effort, this is to give give effort like Bill Gates gives. Or the Gettys give. It it, it is to give um, a lot. (laughs) Now, so these promises need action and effort. And, And here they are. Goodness. You to make every in a Bill Gates kind of way. You're to add um, goodness, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, mutual affection, and love. And I don't think they're a sequence. I don't think they're a kind of stepping stone because uh, commentators have thought about this. There doesn't seem to be any sequence. I think they're a rounded whole. So I don't think that you need to say, "Well, I'm not adding that one because I'm not adding step seven because I haven't got to step three yet." think they're a rounded, rounded hole. So you, you, you can be working on all of them all of the time. And the first one is goodness. The interesting thing about Peter's letter is he, he uses, um, we can't see it in the English, but in the Greek he's using kind of non-Christian words um, to try and provoke, um, to provoke those who are hearing him into some action. So goodness, I think he's probably thinking about some common, uh, some common decency. Just to add some, add some goodness. Add some just basic goodness. So I, I presume Love was actually polite to this guy in front of his house and, and didn't, tell him, didn't tell him to move on with his van, but I don't know. But add some, add some common decency. To that, add knowledge. So knowledge is used in two kinds of ways, and there's two different words here. The first is your knowledge, your personal experiential uh, knowledge of Christ and that you have when you're converted. And the second one is knowledge in the more common sense of the word, just things you know. This is um, information. Information about Jesus, information about what pleases thing. One writer says it's the kind of knowledge that comes from reading, thinking, and discussing uh, as a Christian. Here's yet another reason um, to be in, in the scriptures. Again, this is about reading uh, and reflecting. So you add goodness after goodness, you add knowledge, you add self-control. 
Self-control, I don't know about you, self-control is the hard one. Peter says of the false teachers later on, he says, they promise freedom while they themselves are slaves to depravity. They promise freedom while they themselves are slaves to depravity. And he says, people are slaves to whatever has mastered them. Whatever has mastered you, whatever has got you, you've become its slave. So whatever your addiction might be, it might be the big ones, alcohol, gambling, porn. But there are smaller addictions, aren't there? Whatever they are, gossip, anger, pride, they've kind of got you. They've mastered you, they've got you. And self-control is the fruit of the Spirit. And actually, as we'll see in a moment, what you need to know is that you are still radically forgiven. That however many times you roll a six, God rolls a zero for you in Christ. It doesn't mean that you don't need to add self-control. You do. Perseverance. One writer says, just as self-control is moderation with regard to good things, so perseverance is the willingness to put up with tough times because of the promise of better times ahead. Our perseverance, stickability. It's a very mundane virtue, isn't it? Perseverance, stickability, it means just always turning up, even when it's hard. It means always clearing up. Maybe. Just this basic stickability to be there and, and, uh, and be there to the end. And your being there to the end is shown up in your being there to the end. You know, that you keep turning up here. And it's shown by the fact that in some of the things that go on, you're there till the end. Godliness. Well, this is a word about, this is a more Christian word uh, about godliness, religious goodness, uh, as well as everything else. At the end of the day, it's being like Jesus, isn't it? Mutual affection. It, transwer, it translates the word uh, Philadelphia, which means um, brotherly love. And uh, this is the only place, uh, as far as I understand it, this is the only time um, in the whole of Greek literature um, where this word is, is used for outside the context of a home. So the church is to be family. Church is to be family like, like home is family. And then love. Agape, you know that word. It's the quality that looks um, for others' good, does works for other people's good, not just the Christians. So the promises need your action. It's divine power has given us everything we need through the promises. So you need action and effort to work, uh, take hold of those promises. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. If you're not growing, then your personal relationship with Jesus is useless. In the sense that it doesn't achieve anything. It doesn't achieve anything for the kingdom. It doesn't achieve any glory to Christ. If it's not growing. We're called to bear fruit. Jesus said to his disciples, you didn't choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. And that's in the context, you remember, of talking about the vine and the branches. If you're not bearing fruit, there's not some outward expression in, in these terms here uh, of your Christian life, then, the, then maybe you're a dead branch. And you know what happens to dead branches? 
get burnt. But then Peter goes on with a little diagnosis. He says, whoever does not have these qualities, whoever's not growing in these, is short-sighted and blind, forgetting that they've been cleansed from their past sins. Why do Christians fail to grow? Well, it actually says, here it says short-sighted and blind. In the Greek, it says blind and short-sighted. But I think nobody can translate it. But the, the NIV refuses to translate it like that because it seems to make so little sense. If you're blind, then whether you're short-sighted or long-sighted doesn't really seem to matter, does it? But actually, um, I think it means this. Christians don't grow because they're blind. Because actually they can't see where they are. Got no real understanding or objective understanding of how far they've got along the road. You know the things about logs and specks? About how you want to go and try and get the specks out of your brother's eye? And Jesus says, you haven't realised you've got a great big log in your own eye. We, so often we're, we're blind. That's again why you need the scriptures. But beyond the scriptures, you need the help of your brothers and sisters in Christ to kind of spot where you've been blind. Short-sighted. So blind means you can't see where you are now. Short-sighted means you can't see the way forward to the future. People are short-sighted when they don't have a sense of of where we're going in Christ. We're going to this glorious future of of a new world where everything is made new. So people are short-sighted when they don't have that, um, don't have that at the end of their view. That's the background. It should be the background to kind of everything we see in front of us. And they're forgetful. They've forgotten the past. Forget to kind of look around and see the cross. Say, yeah, I'm I'm forgiven. So putting it all together, Peter says, therefore, brothers and sisters, make every effort, again, effort to confirm your calling um, and election. If you do these things, you'll never stumble and you'll receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. So he says, be more eager. Literally, what does it say here? It says, make every effort. In the Greek, it says, be more eager to ratify, to verify your calling and your election. What you do now verifies what happened way, way past. What you do now shows that the way back and we believe the Bible says, uh, before the creation of the world, God chose you uh, in Christ. That's your election. Way, way past God, God chose you. And, and your behavior now shows that, demonstrates that in the past he chose you. It demonstrates that also that Jesus put out a call for you. And he did that, didn't he, by dying for you and by rising again. And it shows that God called you in the more recent past, sometime in your lifetime. That growth shows uh, that Jesus put his personal call out to you. said, come trust in me, come and be mine. And you said yes. If you do these things, so that's the past. If you do these things, you will, you will not stumble in the present. You will not fall away, I think is what it really means. 
doesn't mean that you won't sin, but if you keep on the upward track, you're less likely to drop off. And I kind of picture this as maybe kind of like you ever kind of, you know, um, had one of those mountain walks where you kind of, you know, there's a bit of a drop off on the side. You know, maybe you've got a sheer wall up this side and you've got a little track to walk along and then down here there's a great big drop off. If you're walking this path that goes up the mountain, um, you've got, you, you're not going to drop off because you're going to look over it and you're going to understand uh, that there's a, there's a fall. But if you're walking across, let's say, Morecambe Bay, like a mass of flat sand as far as you can see, you've got no way of knowing where the, where the quicksand is and where you're just going to get stuck and being trapped. So if you, if you follow this path that is going uphill, it's a path of growing, you'll not stumble. You'll not fall off the track. And if you keep on the track, then you'll arrive at the eternal kingdom. That's what Peter calls it. Arrive at heaven and ultimately at God's new creation. And do you know what you'll receive when you get there? A Bill Gates style welcome. It's the same word. Interesting, isn't it? If you add lavishly, then you'll receive uh, a lavish and a, a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom. Anybody, actually, I think anybody who arrives there uh, receives a rich welcome, a lavish welcome, blessings poured out, lots of good things, but primarily the blessing of seeing God face to face, person to person. So that's how we do past, present and future. Jesus' divine power has given us everything we need for godliness. He's expressed it in promises. If you get adding, it'll make you effective. If you don't, then you've forgotten something. If you do, then you won't lose track. And if you keep on track, you'll arrive. And if you arrive, you'll receive a, a rich welcome. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. For if you do these things, you'll never stumble and you'll receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Thank you, Father God, God, for this word from Peter. tells us how to connect the past, the present and the future and we ask you help us see the past clearly, help us see that we've been forgiven whatever happens in the present, for those who really trust Christ, there is forgiveness for those who are on the path, there is always forgiveness but help us Lord break down the addictions help us walk together as family Help us to always have that future uh, in the background to everything we see. We pray that the Holy Spirit in us and that new nature will work to change us from the inside out. But Lord, help us to keep adding and help us to keep finding your promises. Your Bible is all promise. Help us to come to it with that kind of encouragement in mind. And find you speaking to us and encouraging us. And we ask it in Jesus' name.